Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is hard to believe, but the NBA offseason has officially hit. And so here's what's coming up on Catch and Shoot 2.0. Otto is out today as my main man, Bruce Bernstein, fills in for him. Otto has a World Series to cover that's happening in his backyard. So we will excuse him today as Bruce sits in. And we will also talk with Kelly Eco, who covers the Rockets for The Athletic. He will join us in the middle of today's show to discuss Daryl Morey stepping down after a 13-year run in Houston what that means for the Rockets, and also what it might mean for James Harden's future in the Space City. But before we get to all that, let's go ahead and welcome in Bruce. Bruce, how's it going, man? Hey, it's great to be with you, uh, Aaron, as always. It's, uh, uh, like you said, it's weird. You know, this is usually when the season is about to begin, and we're, we're, we've done like a complete 180 due to the pandemic and the bubble and everything. But uh, uh it promises to be an interesting offseason. A lot of unknowns. We're just about a month away from the draft. And uh, I know that uh, we both each are going to take a team that we're looking forward to seeing what's happening with them in the offseason. And uh, uh, you feel like going first? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to build off your comment real quick, it's weird because this would be the week typically that regular season games would start in the NBA. You know, it's usually around the 15th, 17th, 20th. So, you know, this calendar is so messed up and we're so thrown off (laughs) that we're going to have a draft in November. We're going to have a regular season that might start in January, but we're all just trying to figure it out. We're trying to work through it. And, you know, I didn't get to say it last week, but congratulations to the Lakers who are your 2020 NBA champions. And with that, Bruce, off-season talk officially starts. It is hot stove season across the association. And so we're going to talk today in this segment one thing that we're each looking forward to in this offseason, and, and I'll kickstart this, Bruce. The thing I'm most interested in, and because this is a storyline that has really kind of popped up out of nowhere, you know, uh, is what happens with Victor Oladipo in this NBA offseason. Everyone knows what happened with VO um, rupturing what was it, his Achilles tendon a few years ago. He was playing at an all-star level. He's playing his best basketball that we've seen him play in his entire NBA career. And it really looked like his star was ascending and he was about ready to become, you know, a focal point of that Pacers team. Now, all of a sudden, there's reports saying that he wants to trade out of Indiana, which is, you know, this is a guy who played his college ball in the Hoosier State. It's a warm reception every time he's inside that field house. And for him to ask or, you know, 
comment on the fact that he might want to trade out of that market is really interesting. And so now from, you know, just living in Orlando and knowing Victor from my first few years here in Orlando, I'm interested to see where he ends up. And, you know, if this is a player that's demanding a max contract, what kind of market is out there for him? Because it's a player that has been injured, who had an up and down campaign when he did return. And if I were an acquiring team, would be very hard pressed to pay this guy a max contract after seeing what we saw in a small sample size of games last year. So I'm very interested to see what happens with that storyline moving forward. Well, you know, uh, as a Boston fan, you know, reading some of the stories about the Celtics, I mean, there's definitely interest in Victor Oladipo as a trade target with Boston because Boston, excuse me, has Gordon Hayward, Indiana native, Butler University legend, uh, who has had, you know, a dark cloud over his years in Boston because of injuries, et cetera. But, uh, and, and Boston really needs some, uh, some offensive help. And also, I don't know if the numbers work. There's other people that could answer this, but Miles Turner seems like somebody that could be a trade out of Indiana too, because DeMontis Sabonis is really their primary big man. Yeah. So if there were a way to kind of put together Miles Turner and Vic Riola Depot to Boston for Gordon Hayward and something, that could be something that helps out both teams. Yeah, and it would help stretch the floor for Boston too. You know, Miles Turner is a big that can consistently knock down three too. Um, so with that said, what is one big storyline you're looking forward to? The resurrection of the Golden State Warriors who went from the absolute top of the basketball world to pretty much the bottom of the basketball world this year. Uh, they are going to bring back Stephen Curry. They are going to bring back Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and, and Andrew Wiggins. So that could be four-fifths of their starting lineup. So the big question is, who's, who's going to be the, the fifth guy in their lineup? And because they do have that number two pick in the draft, one of the names that people have bandied about, if they keep the pick as opposed to trying to trade it, would be James Wiseman out of Memphis, seven foot one. And if you look at that lineup with Draymond and, and Clay and uh, Wiggins and Steph, a seven one guy in the middle uh, might, who, who isn't going to have to get the ball a whole lot because they got shooters all over the place on that team. I'll be really interested to see if they draft him, will he start? And I expect the Warriors to make a very deep playoff run next year. I think that team is going to be, you know, they were sort of forgotten this year, you know, because of everything that happened. But I think uh, they'll be challenging the Lakers and they'll be challenging Denver uh, next season for, you know, supremacy out there in the West. That Western Conference is going to be so much fun to watch next year. You know, it was disappointing this year to not be able to watch Golden State at their peak, especially with how good Steph Curry is, Clay Thompson. You know, that whole roster is really – it probably had another good few years in the Clippers too. I'd be remiss if I didn't miss them. But one uh-huh. team that has kind of been lost in that mold that has tried to break through to that top tier that has been close but has had no luck – be the Houston Rockets. And so let's go ahead and talk some Rockets. You're going to have an interesting offseason as we welcome in Kelly Eco of The Athletic. All right, it is our pleasure to welcome on Kelly Eco. He does a great job covering the Houston Rockets for The Athletic. And as Bruce and I welcome Kelly in, Kelly, first off, you know, some people would say the offseason is a little bit of a downtime, not for the Houston Rockets, right? No, it never is here in Houston. Um, they always have something going on. As you can see now with uh, Daryl Morey stepping down, Mike D'Antoni, you know, walking away and now looking for a head coach. And just, that's going to be the beginning of a, a pretty busy offseason. So, yeah. 
I was going to say, like, the interesting thing about Houston is, is you look at, you know, this franchise for the last 13 years, they've been a model of stability. And then all of a sudden, yeah. this bubble hits, you lose Mike D'Antoni as a head coach, Daryl Morey a month later steps down. This is uncharted territory for Houston. How do they plan to navigate this interesting time where they're not only looking for a head coach, but also now, you know, Raphael Stone has been um, cemented as GM. Things are completely different for this franchise. Yeah, um, I think first and foremost, they, they hired Stone because they wanted to keep that continuity going. Um, he had been under Daryl Morey and uh, Monty McNair and, and all those guys for a number of years and had kind of worked some things out, done some, some trades behind the scenes. And he's been being groomed as, you know, getting ready to be that role. And during the coaching process now, he was the main guy, you know, taking charge of those meetings. Um, and Daryl Moore was a consultant just being there as a voice in the background. So I think for such a period like this, it's important to have uh, um, some kind of stability because they are going into uncharted territory. You know, with the way the last four years have gone for the franchise, every year has been a playoff failure. Um, and the NBA is not getting any easier. And for a team that was built specifically to take down one team, I don't think when the Rockets built that team, they expected the Lakers to, you know, come to problems like that with the Clippers, the Raptors, or, or, or the Celtics, or the, the, even the Heat. So now they're having to deal with all of that and then their own internal issues. So um, it's going to be a pretty you know, interesting summer. Oh, not summer. Now, Kelly, the way the roster is constructed, they sort of built this team in the micro ball mode, whatever, small yes. ball that, that, it, that D'Antoni favored and that Maury, you know, uh, you know worked with them on. So for the next coach that takes over this team, whoever it is, whether it's Jeff Van Gundy or somebody else, right. are they going to have to really make major changes and promise a new coach they're going to they're going to go with some bigger bodies, or are they going to live with PJ at center again? <laughs> well, if if you go back to you know who was being seriously considered for the job, you know John Lucas, Jeff Van Gundy, Stephen Silas. Um, John Lucas has been under that system, so he is familiar with small ball and how the Rockets play. The and the most important thing to take away is that the Rockets didn't intend to play um, this extreme small ball every minute of every game. I mean, if you remember after the Capella trade, there was a window where they could have added salary and they wanted to try and bring in, you know, uh, a, a big man. You know, they tried for Noah's the world. They, they tried for DeAndre Jordan, some of the, some of the names, but, um, and also the guy from, from Detroit, Christian Wood. Um, there, were, there were discussions, but, you know, ultimately things didn't pan out. And they had to reserve, you know, to Tucker at the five. Um, but I do think that going forward, you know, if you do want to play small, you can. But as you saw, the way they lost to the Lakers, the Lakers beat them by playing small. But their small ball is a lot different having Anthony Davis as the five as opposed to the six five Peter Tucker. Um, so I do think they have some tools there, but they they have to get very aggressive. And it's hard because there's not a lot of you know, cap space, there's, there's no cap space, and there's no wiggle room. Um, so it's going to take some real creativity to improve that roster. Kelly, you wrote a tremendous piece in The Athletic, and I was reading it a little bit earlier today in prep for today's interview, where you talked about the synergy that, you know, James Harden has had with this front office and with this coaching staff. And now all of a sudden you look, Mike D'Antoni's no longer <clears> there. <throat> Daryl Morey's no longer there. And, right. you know, you summed it up perfectly where it's like two-thirds of that trio is now gone. What does that do? What does that mean for James Harden? What does that mean for you know him in this franchise who he's been in lockstep with every step of the way? It's tough. 
um, he's been there what almost a decade now. And um, while the move to Houston has taken him from you know a really good six man to you know an MVP player on the player, um, they haven't gone to the promised land, and that's the main reason why he came to Houston is because Daryl Morey put that vision in his mind that look, I can take you from a good player in a good role to a great player in a great role. Um, now, there are more of the guy that brought him in is gone. Mike D'Antoni, the coach that enhanced his skills and, and, and turned him to an all-NBA player, an MVP, he's gone. If you're James Harden, don't you have to look around the room and say, you know, am I next? Like, if, if you don't think that the Rockets are presenting to you a, a, a plan going forward where they're going to remain competitive, you know, it's up in the air right now. Like, you have to think that his future, you know, it's on the table. Um, just because it's happened before and around the NBA, we've seen stars get disgruntled. We've seen stars be in situations where, you know, they just get tired and they want something new. James Harden has given the Rockets eight, nine years of good to great basketball. Um, it's only right to, to assume that with, you know, those key pieces gone, could he be the next one to drop? The kind of money that he's being, you know, guaranteed to be making over the next three years, I, I believe he's, he's going to, he's just under 41 next year, just under right. 43 the following year and just under 47 in the right. third year. So um, isn't that make him virtually untradeable in a lot of ways? Um, I mean, from that perspective, yes, it, it, it will be hard. And, and look, the Rockets are not going to look to move, you know, James Harden. They're probably going to build a statue of him after his career is done. Um, but it's just a normal thought that comes to your head, you know, in terms of building a roster, in terms of uh, flexibility. You, you have to look at everything on the table. And with the year that, that the Rockets had moving forward, there isn't a situation where you can say, you know, everything, you know, there isn't any guarantees. So it's just a, a normal thought process you have, a thought exercise in terms of James. While the contract is pretty much hard to move, we have seen Houston get pretty creative with Chris Paul and, and getting to Russell Westbrook and stuff like that. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big um, contract, but I wouldn't call it impossible if, if it came to that. How does Houston plan to make that dynamic between um, Russell Westbrook and James Harden work moving forward? Um, well, if you do remember during the season, prior to the restart, um, it was going pretty well. Um, it was almost to a point where, Russ was the, the number one option and James was kind of like the, the super second option because Russ was so unstoppable going to the, to the lane. Efficiency was through the roof um, and he was healthy. Now you saw during a restart, he got hurt, he got COVID. Um, that kind of took away from his game um, and he, he had a, a really bad second round series against the Lakers. Now moving forward, how do you optimize that? I think <clears throat> part of that's on the coaching staff. You have to kind of let Russ be more of a point guard and let James play a little bit more off ball. Um, I don't think they, the kind of style that they played, it didn't do them any favors. You know, when when James was getting doubled, you know, he wasn't really much involved in the play. So he's kind of be a spacer or a cutter. They could, he could do more from that standpoint. Russ can be better for sure. Um, but it's also going back to X's and O's. You know, every coach has their bag of tricks. Um, D'Antoni, one of the smartest coaches that I've ever seen in my life, he was kind of, it was kind of weird seeing him, how he kind of petered out going from a, a brilliant X's and O's guy to just a freelance, you know, let James and Russ do the thing. Um, but I think whoever is the next coach will have to implement some style of some either off-ball action, some cuts, some script. It's just something, something apart from, you know, let James and Russ, you know, play hero ball.
One of the things that I found really surprising about the Rockets last year is that you know, they're known as an offensive team. And Mike D'Antoni, I mean, I've spoken to players that played for him in the past, and they said he never even really worked on defense in practice. But, but somehow or another, that team became a really, really good defensive team, at least from the standpoint of, of, of the numbers. So given that it's kind of a team that isn't really relying on height, but is pretty well, you know, uh, you know, known to be a pretty good defensive team. Which right. of those coaches that you talked about do you think might be the best fit for a team that's sort of kind of a bizarre makeup but does a lot of things well? Uh, <clears throat> I think John Lucas. I think if you want to go from someone who knows the system, who knows each and every individual player, can understand those different scenarios, those different, you know, personalities, and someone who has worked with the Rockets defensive team, defensive coaches because the way the Rockets play, they operate like a football team. I mean, you know, they have Mike D'Antoni who does the offense and everything, oversees everything. They have Brett Gunning who also does the offense. Then they have Elston Turner who does the defense. Um, John Lucas has worked with all those coaches over a number of years. And I think if you want someone who can come in and um, maintain those same, you know, truths, those same things about the defense that were good because we did see them be a really good defense in the bubble for some time before the second round. Um, I do think that's possible, but they do need some more um, younger, you know, more wings in, in that aspect to kind of keep that keep that energy going. Because if you saw them against the second round, they, they look slow, they look tired, they look lethargic. Um, they didn't look at any match for the Lakers. So there's some work to do on that end. And Kelly, that's a really interesting point because, you know, I've been scratching my head with the Rockets for a long time on how they get better. <laughs> and, and, you know, they have a lot of things working against them. You talked about it earlier. They're essentially in cap hell. You know, I, I think what the cap this year was 109 million. And, you know, no, depending not. on where it goes this year, it's not going to be much higher. No. And so, so <clears throat> how do the Rockets get better? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I think, there are two ways to do it. One, you can either bite the bullet and maybe trade, you know, Eric Gordon. Maybe if you if you see what's out there, um, he's a he's a good player. But last season kind of showed that, you know, if he's not healthy, you know, he's, he's really bringing your franchise down a little bit. Um, I do think part of it also is going out and finding actual shooters. I think the Rockets have three point shooters, but they don't have three point of a specialist, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. they, they need people like a, a Kentavious, Carl Paul, you know, or uh, a Kyle Corver, those people that can actually knock down enough threes to keep the defense honest. I think while Tucker and Covington and Gordon and um, others can shoot threes, they're not specialists. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of hard. With the amount of, of, of capital that's tied up between Harden and Russ over the next couple of years, it's kind of hard to, to – to maneuver, you know, seriously, you kind of have to think if you want to make actual changes, you kind of have to start with those guys. You know, do you move one of them? Do you do you look at Tucker? Do you look at Covington? Do you look at Gordon? Do you try and get something on the open market? You know, maybe Al Horford uh, from from Philadelphia. You know, the options are kind of limited. Yeah, and and so you mentioned Daryl Morey previously. He had been the GM there since 2007 and really was kind of like the godfather of analytics in a lot of ways, you know, around the NBA. So what do you think his legacy is going to be with the Rockets franchise? 
Um, just someone, a smart guy who, who took his chances. Um, he dared to be different. And I think that's what Daryl Moore's, you know, the story of Daryl Moore will be a man who dared to be different, who challenged the Warriors when other teams, you know, sat on their hands and tried to wait idly to, for them to be done. Um, he was aggressive in the front office. He, he, you know, people will say that he kind of abandoned chemistry and, you know, players' feelings and stuff. But his job is to build a competitive team, you know. And yeah, you have to make some tough decisions every year. That they're not that that won't always be popular amongst the fans. But he he turned a team in the Rockets that were a middling franchise in 2007, let's be fair, to to a contender. Um, if if things go his way in 2018, he might be seen as one of the smartest men of all time. If, if they do get to the finals, you know, um, now it, it took a lot of crazy things like 27 minutes in a row for that not to happen. But, you know, he put his team in that position, you know, after that, after that game five, people were, people were, were, were talking about Daryl Moore as, you know, being revolutionary, you know, because they're up 3-2 against the Warriors. If they win game six or seven, they're in the finals. And who knows? Who knows what happens, you know? So I think while – the ending may have not been as good as, you know, where he wanted to be. I think people always remember Daryl Morey for the 65 wins, the, the switch everything on defense, the, the threes, the threes, the threes, and James Harden. Was he too aggressive at times? That's a good question. Um, I think part of it is he kind of had to work within the restraints of ownership. You know, over the last three years, we've seen him make a number of, Head scratching decisions, you know, cost cutting moves, you know, getting rid of James Ennis, uh, getting rid of Terry Ariza, that was kind of questionable. Um, the way they treated the the, the house saga, that was <laughs> really long and drawn out, and just just spoke to me as kind of cutting corners. And that's that's going to be the biggest thing going forward. Are they going to cut? Are they going to continue to cut corners? Because I don't think they have that kind of room to do that now. Um, but Daryl Morey at times, yeah, he, he might have made a, a movie shouldn't have made or a movie could have regretted it. But, you know, the one thing about Daryl that I know that he, he was never afraid to swing. Um, sometimes they're going to be home runs. Sometimes they're going to be strikeouts. That's, that's just that's the, way, the way the job is. Daryl talked about it in that ad he took out, and I think it was the Houston Chronicle, about how James Harden basically changed his life. Yeah. Uh, and, and he gave him all kinds of credit for that. And, you know, James is going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's no question about it. He just has to play a few more years, and, I mean, he's in. But do you feel that there's something about his game that, that is really, really effective over an 82-game schedule, but somehow or another <clears throat> is lacking when it comes to the postseason? Is he somebody that you can, you, can, uh, you know, uh, scheme against if you're a really good coach with a good defensive plan? You can, and we saw the Lakers do that. You know, they 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 introduced you know, hit traps. They, I think the thing that the Lakers did was they confused the Rockets. You know, typically if you were just gonna double James every time, they would find a way to beat that at some point. But the Lakers sent traps at different times on the shot clock. Sometimes they were early, sometimes they were middle, sometimes they were late, and that kind of threw them off their their, their balance because against the Thunder, there wasn't too many Harden traps. So they 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 kind of stuck to. Lou Dort on James, and, and so be it. Now, because the Lakers didn't have a Lou Dort, they didn't have a, a quote-unquote stopper, they had to get kind of schematic and, and find ways to circumvent that you know, lack of a perimeter defender like that. So I think for James, um, if he really wants to, to take that next, and it's hard because he's such a good player, but if you want to take that next next step, you have to 
um, find ways to impact the game when you don't have the ball. Um, and he, and, he, and he, he talked about that after the game, after game five, that he's willing to do anything it takes you know, to win a championship. You know, there is anything that he said that he won't do, so, so we'll see. Yeah, and that's very in lockstep with his former GM and Daryl Morey. You know, he wanted to take everything and do everything that he could in order to bring a championship to Houston. So so I ask this, Raphael Stone takes over as GM. He was under Morey for a long time. How much of his success and failures is also tied to Daryl Morey? I think a lot. Um, Everything he does from this point for, and I wrote this today, because because ownership was so confident in Stone and they hired him from a thing. There was no coaching. There was no GM search at all. Um, because they were so confident and it happened so quickly, everything he does going forward will be directly tied or it will be compared to Moore because Moore was there for so long and he had so much success in that 13 years that and it, it, the bar is set really high. So anything Stone does, if he makes the wrong move, if he makes the right move, it's going to be compared to, to Will Moore. Awesome. So make sure it's Absolutely. Kelly, this has been tremendous, man. Great talking to you. Great catching up. Appreciate you, man. Hey, we're going to take you up on that. Man. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't be a stranger, man. <laughs> no, hey, I'm here now. So thanks to Rob. Appreciate you, Rob. Awesome. Well, Kelly, we appreciate you taking the time and joining us. And if you guys have not checked out Kelly's stuff on The Athletic, do it, man. He, he's doing some great off-season content for the Rockets for right sure. now, covering their coaching search as well as, you know, what happens with James Harden and their GM reshuffle. So, Kelly, we appreciate the time. Sir, thank you. That was dope. Special thanks to Kelly Eco, who covers the Rockets for The Athletic, for taking the time and joining us. And, you know, you know, Bruce, that was one of the more insightful interviews. You know, you pinged us the other day saying that we need to talk about Daryl Morey and what he did for that Rockets organization and also what it means for them, for him stepping down after 13 long years at the helm of that organization. So first off, let's talk about Daryl Morey. What was your initial reaction when you learned that he was going to step down? You know, the, the first reaction that I had, besides being somewhat shocked, was, okay, he sort of constructed this team, and he had his coach with the Antoni, and they sort of had a unique style. So all I could think of, if he wasn't pressured to leave, which I don't have any evidence to suggest that he was, was like, okay, you built this car, and you might be the only guy who knows how to drive it. So whoever takes over that thing next, I mean, they're they're – presented with quite a challenging situation, uh, you know, because you have an unusually, uh, you know, constructed team, Aaron. I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's a team that for years has kind of operated in this idea that they can win by just simply shooting three pointers, right? Like you remember when they had that run, made it to the Western Conference Finals, where it's on the tips of the finals. I, I think they read, read that series three games to one or something. And then it was just like, they forgot how to take a shot inside the three-point arc. (laughs) Things just weren't falling. It was a problem. And, you know, that was kind of what Kelly was talking about. You know, for years, this Rockets team has operated on the mindset of analytics, and it's been cutting edge. And, and, you know, it's forced a lot of teams to rethink their philosophies when it comes to roster construction. But at the same time, you need reliable scores, and James Harden is a reliable scorer. But the second that, you know, they traded away Clint Capella – they lost a lot of their identity and that was a big part of what was part of their failures this year. And so now, you know, the question is, um, you know, Raphael Stone's going to take over this organization. 
he's been within their front office for a long, long time. He's learned from Daryl Morey, but now he's also got to hire his own head coach. And, you know, so now not only have you had synergy at your GM, your head coaching spot and your star player role for what it seemed like forever in Houston, two of those three dynamics are different. And, you know, Kelly spoke about if you're James Harden, what are you thinking now? Your whole front office has changed. A coach who you loved is gone now. And you're kind of reconstructing this thing on the fly. If I'm James Harden, I don't know if I'm happy with that. What do you think about that? Well, I think the fact that he's got that contract where he's owed, you know, somewhere around $130 million. It was was $39 million this year. Westbrook was making $38. And those numbers are only going to go up. Right. So you're, you're averaging, you know, like I said, it's 40.8, 42.8, 46.8 for the next three years for Harden. I really don't know how you trade him. So the, the only solution is, and and, and similar deal with, with Russell Westbrook too. He's making almost identical money if you add up the three year totals and both of those guys are North of 30 years old. So I don't know that it's going to be so easy to trade him. So if I were running the show there, I would say, well, okay, depending on who the coach is, and it maybe sounds like, you know, Kelly suggested that John Lucas might be the best choice because of his familiarity with the, uh, with the situation and the personnel, the style, et cetera. But if I'm the GM of that team, I'm thinking we have this kind of, you know, defensive hole in the middle. You mentioned Capella. Capella was their rim protector. Yeah. They don't really have a rim protector right now. So they might want to think about a rim protector. And if you're talking about trade, I mean, I, you know, who's out there? He mentioned Al Horford. Al Horford's about 33, 34 years old. Maybe he'd be a good upgrade for a rim protector, but he's making like 27, $28 million next year. I mean, that's a pretty big nut to, to swallow for those guys too. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Harden and Westbrook's contract. Harden's due $40.8 million next year. Westbrook is due $41 million even. That's a large number for any team to swallow. And we talked about the cap situation that they're in. We don't know how much that cap's going to go up this year, if at all, due to revenue shortfalls that NBA teams are experiencing. So here's the other big part of all this. You know, Jeff Van Gundy has been rumored to be, you know, a potential suitor for this head coaching job. He was in Houston the other day to interview. What would a Jeff Van Gundy Houston Rockets team look like in this day and age? We've seen him coach him once, but what would it do for him to take over this roster? If I were Jeff Van Gundy, you know, who am I to say? He's got one of the best gigs in TV right now. He works with Mike Breen. He's where he does all the best games. He, you know, he's a great guy. He's a great analyst. He's very entertaining. If I were him, I think I'm not sure I'd want that team unless he has a plan to really make that chemistry work. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the Houston job and I'm thinking that's not really, to me, one of the most appealing jobs that's out there if I were a prospective coach. That said, Jeff had great success coaching Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming in Houston. He still lives in the area. He's probably going to be a popular choice should they make it with the fan base. So it sounds like, you know, if it's not Jeff Van Gundy, it might be John Lucas. I don't know. I mean, like I said, to me, that there are other teams that I think I'd rather look at. I think New Orleans might be a sexier job than, than that one right now. Yeah, that New Orleans job's an interesting one. But here's the thing. If Jeff Van, you know, so... Kelly mentioned during our interview, 
Jeff Van Gundy hasn't coached in a while, except for his stint on the international circuit. I, I don't buy that that's a deterrent. You know, we, we were talking about this off air a little bit. There is a perfect case study for how being a national broadcaster can help you elevate your game as a coach, right? Like Steve Kerr is the, the idol for this longtime broadcaster. And there's something to be said about when you're not in that environment of focusing on how you can help your team win every day and the ideas that are influenced you through your front office every day. And you're talking to different head coaches. You're, do- you're talking to different front office personnel. You're talking to different players every single day. You can learn a lot that you did not fully understand when you were a head coach being a broadcaster, can't you? Well, I think it's like the macro versus micro approach. I mean, if you're, if you're a coach, you tend to be micromanaging or not micromanaging, but micro focused on your individual situation. If you're Jeff Van Gundy, you're flying up there at 35,000 feet. You're looking at the whole league. You're talking, uh, as we mentioned in our little off-air conversation, with a lot of GMs, other coaches, players. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think Steve Kerr is a very good example of why that can work. And look, Steve Kerr is going to the Hall of Fame. Guess what, folks? You know, when you win, you make it to the finals five straight years and you win three championships, his ticket to Springfield is punched. Absolutely. Well, Bruce, this has been fun. Appreciate your pinch hitting for auto on short notice. You know, it's always fun to hop on. Always fun to talk a little NBA hoops. Oh, it's actually my pleasure. I'm happy to, uh, happy to fill in. I know Otto has got a lot on his plate right now. So I'm, I'm, I did my best Otto, to fill your shoes. And uh, listen, while we're, while we're talking about our shows, we have some really good guests coming up on some of our other shows later this week. So I'm going to throw in a little shameless plug here before, uh, before Aaron says goodbye there. But uh, the uh, uh, Bucket Sports and Blocks, which is dropping on Thursday this week, is going to have Baylor head coach Scott Drew from the famous Drew family and also the coach of King McClure when he played for Baylor. Uh, a little later on, uh, next Monday's show, Mike Wise's show, where we're planning to have Jeannie Buss, who uh, – is the owner of the Lakers or the governor, as they say now, and they're in their new language around the league. And uh, she has been a uh, guest on Mike's show before. And she is not only a wonderful human being, but one of the most honest and real people that you'll ever meet. Uh, BJ and Eric are back with the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. Um, and let's see, what are the other shows that we have? Uh, Aaron, our Please show here. Forget our show. Catch our show here. I know where everyone gets all their latest NBA news and nuggets. You know, and we talk to right. top flight reporters every single week. That's right. We're, we're, we're killing it with guests. And Kelly was a great example of that. And then uh, Full Court Press with John Fanta uh, is dropping every Tuesday. Yeah, absolutely. Great content coming every which way, every single day of the week. And we have to thank our wonderful producer, Scott Turkin, and of course, our editor, Tom Phillip, who puts all this stuff together each and every week. We cannot do it without you guys. And Bruce, we all know this. Scott knows it. You know it. I know it. We are still in the midst of a pandemic. So what we ask and what we like to promote here on Pure Hoops Media is everyone continue to take it seriously. You know, for all of our frontline workers who are out there each and every day doing their thing, keeping us safe. We love you guys. We appreciate the work that you guys are doing. And if you're not a frontline worker, if you're not an essential worker, we can all do our part to help them out each and every day. Sometimes that includes wearing a mask. Other times that includes washing our hands a little bit longer than maybe we would like. And, you know, just a closing note, 
uh, here in the state of Florida where I live, early voting did open up. So if you have an opportunity to go out and make your voice heard, and if you are a registered voter, take advantage of it. It's one of the biggest tools that we have as a democracy. And Bruce, did I get it all? Did I forget anything? No, I think, I think you got it all. And, uh, you know, wear the mask, get out there and vote and just treat everybody around you like a cherished friend or a teammate. You know, we, we got a lot of work to do to get through this thing. But if we work together and we treat each other well, I think that's uh, the number one step we can all take. So, uh, you know, that's all I have. Absolutely. And if you guys enjoyed this podcast and you enjoy all of our shows across our peer groups media platform, all that we ask is that you take some time, you rate the show on Apple Podcasts, and you also write us a review. It does so much for us down the road. And as always, guys, we love you. Captain Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.